Al-Bayan Radio presents a brief explanation of the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi presented by Farhan bin Rafi' Ahmed. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Inna alhamdulillah nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nastaghfiruhu wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyati a'malina. Man yahdihillah falamudillalah wa man yudlil falantajida lahu waliyan murshida. وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله الأحد القهار وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون Indeed, all praise and thanks belongs to Allah tabarak wa ta'ala alone We seek his help, assistance and guidance in all things He whom Allah tabarak wa ta'ala guides There is none that can misguide him And he whom Allah tabarak wa ta'ala leads astray There is none that can guide him Except through the will and permission of Allah tabarak wa ta'ala alone And I bear witness and testify That there is no deity worthy of worship except Allah And that Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib al-Hashimi al-Qurashi Was the final messenger and prophet sent to all of mankind O you who believe Fear Allah as he deserves to be feared And do not die except in a state of Islam Do not die except that you are Muslims رَبِّ شْرَحْ لِي صَدْرِي وَيَسِّرْ لِي أَمْرِي وَحْلِ الْعُقْدَةً مِنْ لِسَانِي يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي Alhamdulillah, this is hadith 41 in our reading of the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawi. This is lesson 62. Now, the first thing that comes to the mind is we're saying we're reading 40 hadith, but we're on hadith 41. Now, the Arabs generally, when they name things, they named it by what it's يعني, most renowned for or closest to. So sometimes when they mean when they say 50, they mean 49 or 51 or 52. And this is the same with this book. 40 hadith has 42 ahadith in it. And that's just يعني, how it goes because it has a better ring to it than saying the 42 hadith of Imam al-Nawi. So the 41st hadith is an Abi Muhammad Abdullah ibn Amrin. Ibn al-As radiyallahu anhuma Qala, qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam La yu'minu ahadukum Hatta yakuna hawahu Tabi'an lima jiktu bihi hadithun sahih Ruwaynahu fi kitabil hujjah Bi'isnadin sahih The 41st hadith Of the 42 hadith of Imam al-Nawi rahimahullah Is Narrated by Abu Muhammad, whose name was Abdullah bin Amr ibn al-As radiallahu anhuma. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased, be pleased with him and his father. Who reported that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, None of you truly believe until his desire or inclination is in accordance with what I brought subservient to what I came with. What I have brought to what I have come with, and this is a hadith that Imam al-Nawi rahimahullah says, a genuine hadith, a sahih hadith, which was related in the book Al-Hujjah with a sahih isnad. And that part is very important. Now, before we can get into the hadith itself, we need to go through the narrator of this hadith, who was Abdullah bin Amr ibn al-As radiallahu anhuma. His father was the great companion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Amr ibn al-As radiallahu And his mother was Ra'itah, Bintul al Hajjaj, and this is something important that we have to make note that he was a companion, the son of a companion of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Now, something interesting was that between him and his father was around eleven years. Let that sink in. Between him and his father 
was the age gap of 11 years يعني he was very very young when he had his son approximately 10 and a half يعني 9 months do you get what I mean? do you get what I'm trying to get to? okay that is something that is very very important to understand the relationship he had with his father also because of the short age gap that Okay, why? Okay, the brothers are tripping out. Okay, so see how يعني, we took this uh, يعني, very early on when we talked about Aisha radiallahu anha getting married to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam at the age of six. And so we said it was a different time, a different climate, and a different age. So they would reach the age of puberty much earlier in that time. And this is something that is recorded historically, and it is something that is accepted as fact. Now, this wasn't just the case for the women. The men would reach age earlier. Yani they would become يعني, at an age of manhood much earlier than today. Today we got 15 year olds and they're still kids. Right? Or now a 19 year olds and they're still kids. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to rectify our affairs, Ya Rabb. Now the important issue is is that when we use this يعني, argument of saying that Aisha radiallahu anha was at this age, it's not just trying to get out of something. You know what I mean? Just trying to make it all look okay That it's just an excuse Just Aisha was the only one who got to that age at that age Right? It's like an excuse No The companions ajma'in, They all went through this stage Even the men would have children at young ages Even the age of 10 and 11 And this is something that we can see in this hadith In يعني, This is something that is accepted That he was And the age of his father was 11 years As mentioned by by Imam al-Dhahabi rahimahullahu tabarak wa ta'ala Now he embraced, imagine the age gap between him and his father was already so young But he embraced Islam before his father as narrated by Imam al-Dhahabi rahimahullah يعني, Even as a child, as young as he was, as a youth, he embraced Islam before his father Subhanallah Now his, it is said that his name was Al-As, the name of his grandfather and the Prophet ﷺ changed it to Abdullah. Now, this could have many يعني, reasons, but something that is probably the safest bet was Al-As was not a Muslim. And that is enough. So you're not naming it after a non-Muslim, you're just naming it after the best name, which is Abdullah. Now, something that is important to note was that he was of the most knowledgeable of the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum ajma'een, and some of the most well-versed of the muhaddithin of the companions. He had great knowledge in hadith. And he was of the companions who was allowed to write hadith in the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ. Now early on, when Islam began with the Prophet's preaching, the companions were not allowed to write hadith. They were not allowed to write hadith. And this was for many reasons. The main reason was so that the Qur'an was also being revealed at that time and it was for a fear that they would clash and combine and someone would think that a hadith is a verse of the Qur'an and a verse of the Qur'an is a hadith and it would cause a lot of problems for the early Muslims. However, after the majority of the Qur'an came into being and was already revealed, then the Prophet ﷺ, after the يعني, generation knew this is what the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like, then they understood that خلاص, when they hear something, they won't mix it up with the Qur'an. 
So then the Prophet allowed certain companions to write hadith of the Prophet like Abdullah bin Amr ibn al-As Now his physical complexion was that he was tall, he was red-tinged, and he was of a bigger build. He was a bit stocky. It's the best way that I can say it. I'm not going to use the other word. Uh, and this is something that's just mentioned about his physical description. Afwan, there is something that is very important that we can take note of uh, about the companions and writing of hadith. Now, when the companions, after the Prophet ﷺ passed away, they were thinking, should we write, should we not write, should we get it all together? And the companions had differences of opinions regarding this issue. However, this is a matter of ijma' consensus after ikhtilaf of the Sahaba. This is an example that is very important. That there are certain times where the companions did have differences of opinions. And after the matter was resolved and they reached consensus, then it was a matter that no one differed with after. So no one can say the Sahaba early on had an issue with writing of hadith, so you can't write hadith today. Right? So over here, this is an example of ijma' consensus being applied after khilaf was present. And there are other examples of this. The most famous example that we, يعني, the most notorious example is going against the ruler in, with arms. Going against the ruler and trying to take over in a way that is going to cause more conflict. And they say that because when they tried the companions, some of the companions were there who were tried, and tabi'een, afwan, tried to go against al-hajjaj. They tried to overthrow him. 70,000 scholars were killed. The scholars of the time, they said, this guy is not run, ruling according to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and by the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu so we're going to overthrow him. 70,000 of the ulama went and revolted against him and they were all killed. And after that consensus was made that we are never going to do this again until يعني, the conditions are met and the conditions were placed after that. But because of this issue, consensus was met after a difference of opinion, even if those differences of opinion were by great scholars. So this is another example of consensus being met after having khilaf, disagreeing, disagreements between the scholars. Now, he had a very noble feature, this companion of Abdullah ibn Amr, that he was a great worshipper of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we're going to take a few examples. The first was his relationship with the Qur'an. So there is a very famous hadith which says that Abdullah ibn Amr said that I memorized the entire Qur'an and I was reading it per night. The entire thing, cover to cover. I was reading the Qur'an every single night, cover to cover. Until the Prophet heard of it. So when the Prophet came to him and then the matter was brought forward, and the Prophet ﷺ said, finish it in 30 days. Don't finish it every night. And then he said, O Messenger of Allah, I can do more. I, I got this. I can do more. So Prophet ﷺ said, okay, instead of 30 days, 20 days. And then he insisted. He said, Ya Rasulullah, I can do more. I know myself. I can do more. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, seven nights. 
Finish the Qur'an every seven, not less than that. Don't do it in five, don't do it in four. So, he still tried. In this hadith, the famous hadith, uh, initially the Prophet ﷺ said no. He tried to get him to do more, but he said no. In another hadith, he tried again. He said, Ya Rasulullah, I can still do more. So the Prophet ﷺ said three nights. Don't finish the Qur'an under three nights. Every three, that is the most you should go. And that is a sunnah that we know happened with Abdullah ibn Amr. Yani he was trying to push himself constantly regarding ibadah with the Qur'an. And the relationship he had with the Qur'an was ajib. Where he was saying, let me enjoy it, O Messenger of Allah. Let me enjoy it. I want to do more because I enjoy it. Right. Let me really just get the feeling of it, the urge of it. That's what I want, O Messenger of Allah. The Prophet ﷺ constrained him to three nights, even though he wanted to do more. Uh, this was part of his relationship with the Quran. He tried to do the same thing with fasting. <laughs> he tried to fast constantly, every single day. And then he came to the Prophet ﷺ. And the matter came forth that he's been fasting constantly. And the Prophet wasallam, in, in one of the hadiths in, that is mentioned, he says, fast three days. Abdullah, fast three days. And your worship is times ten. So it's as if you're fasting the entire month. Right? That verse of the Quran, that your deeds are multiplied by ten. Asharatu amthal. Right? That it's going to be multiplied So then he's like, oh messenger of Allah No, I want to do more I still want to do more So then the Prophet wasallam said Okay, if you want to do more than three, then do five And then he said, oh messenger of Allah I want to do more And then the Prophet wasallam said Okay, not five then, then seven Seven days, fast seven days in a month And then he still says, no Oh messenger of Allah, I want to do more And the Prophet wasallam said Okay, fifteen days in a month that's your limit, but you have to break it up one day, that you fast one day, and you break your fast one day. And he says, that is the psalm of my brother, Dawood alayhi salam, and that is the best fast. In another narration, when he got this 15-day leeway, that you fast one day and you break your fast one day, he said, O Messenger of Allah, I want to do more. And the Prophet says, that is the best fast. Yani, there's no fast that you can do that's better than this. This is your limit. And this shows us that sometimes you can want to do something, but if it goes against what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger have put forth as the guidelines, then you're doing something that's wrong. Because over here, he wanted to do more than 15 days, and the Prophet ﷺ said, that's not the best. The best is 15. That's your limit. That's the had. And if you go after that, then it's not good. Then it's not what you're... And there's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ who says, whoever fasts at dahr Every single day consistently Then it's as if he didn't fast Imagine that Imagine that So over here Something that we learn from this hadith Is that whatever ibadah you have to do And you think you want to push yourself Then you have to remember What are the guidelines that we have Set forth in the religion That you can't go over What the Prophet ﷺ did And this is something That is also mentioned In hadiths that are relating to this topic where the Prophet ﷺ told him that your body has a right over you. Your family has a right over you. And the Prophet ﷺ in another narration says that I sleep the nights, right? Because he was praying all night and fasting all day. And we're going to get to this inshaAllah. And he says that I 
fast some days and I break my fast the other days. I don't fast consistently except in Ramadan. That's the only time where you're allowed to do an every single day fast. It's mandatory upon you. And the Prophet ﷺ then said, and then he says that I also enjoy my women. Right? I have relations with my women. His wives. Don't get any fancy ideas. Relax. Now, the Prophet ﷺ, when he said that, then he says, فَمَنْ رَغِبْ عَنْ سُنَّتِي فَلَيْسَ مِنِّي Whoever turns away from my sunnah is not from me. And this is what this hadith was talking about. That if this is the perfect guide, we say Nabi Sallallahu is the perfect guide, you try to do more than what that guide tells you, you're not following in his way anymore. You're doing your own thing. And that's something that no one wants to do. No one wants to say that the Prophet Sallallahu is saying that he's not from me. That means you have no attribution to him. And then on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, you're not going to be from his party. From the, يعني, the congregation of the Prophet ﷺ, where he's going to say, he's going to disown you on that day. Because you're not from him. Because he didn't follow in his sunnah. And that is something that we learn from this athar. Something that is also mentioned was that he would actually write in the presence of the Prophet ﷺ, whilst the Prophet ﷺ was there, whilst he was alive. And this is a refutation on those who said that the sunnah was never written in the time of the Prophet ﷺ. They say that sunnah was Bukhari, Muslim, Watta, years, hundreds of years after the Prophet ﷺ died. This is a hadith over here, athar from Abu Hurairah who says that no one from the companions had more hadith than me except Abdullah ibn Amr anhuma. He used to write and I did not write. This is Abu Huraira, we know who is from the Mukthirin, the highest narrator of hadith. Everyone's heard Abu Huraira. But this companion, Abdullah ibn Amr, Abu Huraira says that he has more than me. He has more hadith than me. Why? He says because he used to write and I didn't write. <clears throat> he had this book, Abdullah ibn Amr, he had this book that he would hold in high regard. He would have a special book. And he would call it As-Sahifatu As-Sadiqah The truthful and most honored يعني, booklet or page But it's actually pages And so one time يعني, Someone from his students asked What's this book? And he says This is As-Sahifatu As-Sadiqah And these have the narrations that I heard with my ears to the Prophet ﷺ directly and there was no one in between us. The companions, some of them were with him at times and others were with him at other times. So for instance, if they needed a ruling, then they would say, have you heard anything from the Prophet ﷺ? What to one another? Right? And say, one would say, yes, the Prophet ﷺ said one, two and three about this issue that you're having. Sometimes, like for instance, Umar radiallahu an, he would be working and he was working with يعني, a sharik, an actual person that he was with, that they were taking turns in the work that they were doing. So he would say, Umar would say, you go one day to the Prophet and then come back sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and then come back to me and tell me everything you heard. And then the next day, I'm going to go to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, spend my entire day with him and then I'm going to come back and tell you what I heard. So they were doing this constantly. Going to one another to try to find يعني, rulings and try to find what the Prophet ﷺ had said, even though they were all alive. And this came in a very important يعني, way after the Prophet ﷺ died. That, for instance, the woman 
of the Prophet they knew the private life of the Prophet They knew the ahkam of, for instance, ghusl, janaba, and those issues, right? The private life aspect of it, because they could see how the Prophet slept. They could see how the Prophet bathed. They could see how the Prophet was in a day-to-day, right? And no one else saw that except them. So they would be the, the place where you'd go to. Other people traveled to the Prophet so not all the wives traveled to the Prophet So they wouldn't know certain things So that's why sometimes Like Aisha She said that the Prophet didn't pray duha Right? Because she never saw it But another companion said The Prophet prayed duha I saw it So it's something there Because some people saw something Some people didn't see some things But because we have the whole thing it's taken in unison, it's taken everything from cover to cover That's when we get everything So for instance, Aisha radiallahu anha was asked one time O oh, mother of believers, يعني, the masah that we do, the wiping over our socks How many days is it? And she said, go to Ali radiallahu an Because he has more knowledge about this than I do And then they went to Ali radiallahu an And then he told them about the the masah, the wiping over the sock And he said that if you're a traveler, it's three days That's when you, that's how many days you can do it over the one sock And if you're residing and you're not traveling, it's one day But the issue that we're trying to get to is Aisha sending this questioner to Ali radiallahu an And why? Because she knew that he had that knowledge more than what she had Or that that was his specialty Right? So it's something that's very, very important that the Sahaba, after the death of the Prophet all of their knowledge was consolidated. Whatever naqs someone had, another person filled it. And that was the blessing of having so many companions. But Abu يعني, Abdullah, عن, Abdullah ibn Amr, he's saying that I have a whole book. I have a whole book that it's everything I heard from the Prophet from his lips, and I didn't have to ask anybody. I didn't have to ask anybody. This was my, يعني, what I have. And he wouldn't even give that book out to people. It was something that was close to his heart. He wouldn't like to give that book out. That's, يعني, subhanallah, their hirs, <coughs> how strict they were, and their love for the Prophet Now, the story of his private life, there is a very famous story uh, where his father got him married. And remember, his father is like his, almost like his brother at this point, right? But he gets him married to someone dhu nasab, someone from a good family, someone from a good lineage. Anyway, so he gets him married, and then he leaves him. Obviously, he's not going to be an overshadowing bloke on his, on his like, you know, 11-year-old. That's how, that's the difference between him and them. So he comes to his son, his son's house, and he's asking his daughter-in-law, how is my son? And she says, what a guy. Ni'mar rajul, literally. What a great guy. He doesn't come into my room. He doesn't sleep with me. He doesn't, يعني, nothing. Nothing. He doesn't leave where, he's, where he is. His little section in the house. And he hasn't come to me yet. This is after the, يعني, after they got married. And so the father goes and the hadith literally says, that he told him off badly right? The father is telling off his son And the son is saying, what did I do? I haven't done anything I'm married to her, what's wrong? <laughs> you got me married, I'm married, khalas <laughs> So then it gets raised to the Prophet He goes, the father is complaining about his own son Why? He's not, look what he's doing Look at what he's doing 
So then he gets called to the Prophet sallallahu And then the Prophet sallallahu says, what's wrong? Are you, yani, is it true that you fast all day and you pray all night? Like you don't actually do anything else? And then yani, he says, yes, O Messenger of Allah, I pray all night. All night. And the Prophet sallallahu mentions that, and this hadith, subhanAllah, is in Sahih Bukhari, it's in Muslim Imam Ahmad, it's a hadith that's authentic. And the Prophet says, your family has a right over you, your body has a right over you. I yani, don't pray the entire night, I don't fast every day, and whoever turns away from my sunnah is not from me. And so this is yani, important in a few aspects. That one, he didn't have a ladha in the dunya. He didn't have any worldly type of يعني, attachment to this dunya. He was from the zuhad of the sahaba, from those ascetics from the sahaba, where all he cared about was his ibadah. He wanted to do more. However, what is important to note in his biography is something that is mentioned that sometimes you have to know your limit. Not every person is capable of that. Not every person is capable of this. That 24 7 you're in ibadah, you're not doing anything else. Even Abdullah ibn Amr wasn't capable of it. Because when he grew older and he wasn't able to do it anymore, he said, I wish I had taken the advice of the Prophet. ﷺ. Which shows you that everything has to be in moderation. Everything has to be in moderation. This is why the famous hadith of the Prophet, ﷺ, where the Prophet ﷺ states that the most beloved actions to Allah are the most consistent, even if they're small. The most consistent actions, even if they're small. One page of Quran, but you don't leave it whether you're dying, alive, whatever it is, right? Whatever it is, you do not leave this ibadah that you have. Consistency, even if it's small. وَإِنْقَلْ This is literally a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. Continuing, because we have to get to the hadith. Uh, something that is also mentioned is that when his father, Amr ibn As, passed away, he passed over, inherited to Abdullah great amount of wealth and it was actually mentioned that he was he had the wealth of the kings that's how wealthy he was he was from the most wealthiest of the sahaba radiyallahu anhum ajma'in something that is also mentioned by those who were closest to him his closest students and those who would help him was that at night he would close the door and you could only hear crying that's يعني, his relationship with his ibadah and his fear from his Lord. Even, يعني, now, for some reason, we, we're all walking with a bit of a chip on our shoulder. That, yeah, we're, we're sorted yawm al-qiyamah, we're okay. Right, but the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum ajma'een, they were fearful, they were scared of the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that they weren't sincere. To the point where they would cry sometimes all the way to the morning. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his protection, Ya Rabb. He passed away in his home and the correct opinion was that he was in Egypt and was buried in it, uh, inside of his home in the year 63. Now, the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, لَا يُؤْمِنُ أَحَدُكُمْ حَتَّى يَكُونَ هَوَاهُ تَبِعًا لِمَا جِئْتُ بِهِ That none of you truly believe except until, عفوان, that his inclinations, his desires are in accordance to what I have come with. Now this hadith, Imam al-Nawi rahimahullah says, it's sahih. However, the more correct opinion is that it is da'if. 
it is not authentic as mentioned by Hafiz ibn Rajab rahimahullah who stated that staying that this hadith is authentic is ba'id it's a bit far-fetched but regardless with saying that the hadith the meaning of the hadith is authentic the meaning of this is nothing that goes against this now how could Imam al-Nawi rahimahullah make this hadith sahih and another scholar is saying that it's far-fetched because this is based on a ruling that some of the muhaddithin, the early muhaddithin had that if a hadith is there and it is completely in line with a verse of the Qur'an then we can say that it is hasan or it is sahih this is one of the measuring sticks that some of the early scholars had that if there is a hadith and its wording is like tamaman, literally what the ayah is saying, then you can say that it is authentic. However, the correct opinion is that no, you have to look at every isnad al-hida separately. Whether it goes with the verse, doesn't go with the verse, that's a separate issue. But first you have to look at the isnad. Is it authentic? Are they all trustworthy? Are they all huffaf? And then you can make a ruling whether it is sahih or da'if. Clear? Yeah, I just needed a little bit of a head nod. Yallah, it's good. Now, that is something that is important that this hadith is not authentic. However, the meaning is correct. The meaning of this hadith is correct. Now, over here it says, None of you, la yu'minu ahadukum, none of you truly believe until what? His desires become in accordance to what I have brought. Until his inner self is in line with what I have come with. Now, <clears throat> this covers many things. The first is, for instance, things that Allah has made halal and haram. Okay? So, Sheikh Uthman Khamis gives an example. I'm going to change the example. But the essence of it is from the Sheikh. So, he says that there are two people, right? And they're both sinning. And so, for instance, someone, يعني, not from any of you, none of you, right? Uh, for instance, he is talking to someone who is haram for him. Right? Messaging, Snapchat, Instagram, DMs, whatever it is. Right? You're talking to someone who's haram and you all know what's haram, what's halal. Relax. It's not your sister, it's not your mom, then stop it. Now, and your auntie. Relax. Okay. Okay. So over here, you've got two brothers who are talking to someone that is haram for them. Now the sheikh comes up to the brother and says, Brother, this is haram to the first brother. Right? And he says, What? It's haram? Really? I swear I didn't know. Right? But it's haram. Okay. The brother says, it's haram. I accept it's haram. I'm going to stop. But then he says, Sheikh, but like, just stick with me for the next few months. Because I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't know if I can handle it. You know, I'm going to miss her. <laughs> Whatever it is. Inside of him, he's content. He's saying, yes, I'm going to follow it. Sam'an wa ta'a. Listen and obey. The sunnah is what we want. The hadith of the Prophet is what we want. The Quran is what we want. I'm going to obey it. However, it's going to be hard for me. I'm still going to struggle with it. You know, I'm going, to I'm going to struggle with it. So I need you to be my buddy for the next three months. I'm going to sleep in your room. You have my phone. You're going to change the password. You're going to use your face ID every time I get a phone call. And that's, it's going to be your face. You're going to be me for the next three months, right? Over here, he's inside. He's accepting. However, it's still tempted and still not completely changed. He still wants to do it. Everyone understand? Yeah? The second person is doing the same thing. Someone comes to him and says, Brother, what you're doing is haram. And he says, Really? It's haram? And says, Yes, Habibi, what you're doing is haram. And from inside of it, he hates it automatically. He doesn't want to come back to it. He hates it from the inside. He says, I wish I never had done such a thing. 
and he doesn't want to go back to it. Do you see the difference between A and B? The first guy, he's still, te- he's still inside, he likes it. Whether We're not talking about him being يعني, tempt, يعني, accepting it or not. Right? He's gonna, he accepts it. But the inside, it's still not in accordance to what the Sharia says. He's supposed to hate it. Right? The second guy is saying, I am with it 100%. I hate it now. I hate it now. So for instance, another example, brother A, brother B, يعني, one brother comes in, he says, I just got a house in the river, bragging about it in the masjid, right? I just go, went combank, 3% interest, and the interest rate's going up, I got, I got a deal, right? <laughs> you can't laugh that loud. <laughs> now he says, I got a house on 3% interest, or 4%, whatever it is, right? I got a sweet deal, right? It's a bargain, I'm going to flip it, 1, 2, and 3. So, so the sheikh comes up to him and says, brother, riba is haram. You're waging war against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he's spewing. Inside he's spewing. He hates it. And he says, alright, I'm going to seek forgiveness. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive me. You know, and he's like dragging it along, you know what I mean? So he's, he's hating life at this point. right? The second brother, same thing. House in the riba, he's happy, family, home. You know, it's got three bedrooms, a mad one in Greenacre. And then the brother comes up to him and says, brother, it's haram. And he says, go and sell it right now. I don't want anything from it. Do you see the difference between the two? One person hates it now. He can't stand it. He doesn't want to even look at the place anymore. Because why? It represents what he's going against. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So even if they both ended up selling it, the second has more iman than the first. Because the Prophet says, none of you truly believe until his inclinations, his desires are in line completely with what? With what I have come with. And this hadith is important to understand the point of al-iltizam bi-sunnah. Standing firm by the sunnah of the Prophet That you take no one else's sunnah except the Prophet That you don't blindly follow anyone except the Prophet Where your internal desires are in line with what he loved. What he loved, you loved. What he hated, you hated. What Allah loves, you love. What Allah hated, you hate. Inside. Now, there are certain times that, for instance, you can be at 90%. Right? I accept everything. 90%, I'm with it. But there are some things I just can't. I, I, I'm accepting, but I can't. Like, inside of me, I can't do it. I can't love it, I can't hate it. Right? So over here we say, this is a shortcoming in your iman. But it doesn't mean you're wiping the floor with you, relax. You still have that 90%. You still have, but if you want to perfect your iman, completely go on the highest scales of iman, then you love for the sake of Allah and you hate for the sake of Allah. Everything becomes in line. Your criterion becomes Quran and Sunnah. That's what you need to do. To get this highest point of true, excellent belief, you have to hate and love for the sake of Allah. And the Sunnah is your first point of where you come back to. So, over here is something that's in sin. That's in, for instance, يعني, um, actions. Other things can even go back into creedal issues. So none of you truly believe until your inclinations, your desires are in line with what I have come with. Rasulullah didn't just come with halal haram. He came with aqidah too. He came with the belief system as well. So we have a very important principle of Ahlul Sunnah, of Salafiyyah, is that we bring the dalil first and then we make our rulings. 
We bring the dalil first and then we bring the rulings. We don't make rulings and then look for dalil. There's a difference. There's a difference. Our first focal point is dalil, evidence. When you have evidence, then you derive the opinions from that evidence itself. Not that I make a point and now I'm going to look for any single quote I can find in 1,400 years worth of books. No, because that is not your iltizam to the sunnah. It's not you following the sunnah. It's you following yourself and trying to use the sunnah as an example. It's trying to use the, the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ as the evidence. However, what you need to do is the essence of what you want to be doing is I want to be doing everything for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and everything needs to be aligned with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Everyone with me? Yeah? Okay. Now, that is the conclusion of the 41st hadith. Next week is the conclusion that we have of the 42 hadith of Imam al-Nawi. So next week, inshallah, we're going to take the hadith and then we're going to over, you know, look at it as an overview of the entire book. And inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to complete this book. This has been you know, a long way coming. I think it's 60 odd lessons. Alhamdulillah, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us life, we'll try to you know, finish it. But something that you have to understand is what was the title of this class from the get-go? What's the, who read the banner? None of you? <laughs> what, that was the class of the thing. What was the actual title? No, that's next to us tomorrow, bro. Relax, the poem. <laughs> what's, <laughs> what's the actual... Huh? A short explanation of the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawi. I have not done justice to a single hadith. Wallahi, I have not done justice to a single hadith in this book. And this is a short explanation. Something that is brief. Just so that you understand... What these ahadith are, and inshallah next week we complete this book. Barakallahu fikum wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. This program was presented by Al Bayan Radio, the voice of Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah.